hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Welcome back to the next episode of ECLS Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely. Today we're joined by Chief William Evans, who serves as the commissioner of the Boston Police Department from 2014 to 2018, after having spent multiple decades on the force, and today joins us to discuss his career. And uh, Boston Chief, how are you? Very good. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Before we get into anything, I just want to ask you if you could just tell us about yourself, uh, you know, where you where you grew up, how you became uh, involved in BPD, and uh, just, just take us through it. Yeah, you know, I started back at, in, you know, growing up. Well, I grew up in South Boston, yeah. grew up there my whole life. I was the youngest of six boys uh, on the triple-decker, and uh, obviously South Boston's changed from when I lived there. It was, a, you know, poorer, uh, lower class. Uh, we were, you know, big families. I was the youngest of six and uh, grew up. You know, my mom passed away when I was just a baby, so I didn't know my mom, and then I lost a brother hit by a car when I was nine. He was 11, and... Lost my dad when I was 14. So, you know, I basically grew up in the city with my brothers raising me and, uh, you know, and got myself to um, high school. You know, I had a, a local priest get me into a good Catholic school, St. Sebastian's. Um, and then, you know, went off, ended up going to Suffolk University, um, got interested in criminal justice, uh, got on the police department while I was going through school. So while you were in college, you got on okay, yeah, uh, to uh, BPD? BPD, I started in 1980, and, uh, you know, and I've spent actually almost 43 years now in law enforcement. And uh, so I'll, I'll go by, I, I come from a public service family. My two older brothers were Boston firemen, and my oldest brother was a Boston policeman also. Sure. Great. Uh, could you just take us through what was it like growing up in South Boston at the time? You know, you mentioned you know largely being with your brothers and, and being in the city. What, what was that time like? Well, it was uh, it was a good time. I mean, everybody was close, so you know, a lot of friends, a lot of big families. We used to play, you know, tag football in the street, uh, wiffle ball. You know, you know, little league. I played all the sports. Pop one, I was involved in. You know, that's what we did as kids. You know, we didn't have organized sports. We just you know, my dad and their parents used to say, just get out of the house and come in when the light No video games, none of no, those things. No, no, no. Yeah. And uh, it was a better time, believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were more active. We were out. We had more friends than you could shake a stick at. So it, it was a good time. And we weren't the richest people in the world, but we were sort of rich with friends and family. That's great. Uh, now, I think you mentioned getting on the force, I think in 1980, yeah. you said, what was BPD like in those days? What was it like to, to join as a young guy? What, like, what was that experience like? 1980, I started as a police cadet, and, uh, you know, again, my oldest brother was on the police. So it, it was uh, interesting because that was more the administrative start of it. When I actually became a policeman, it was 1982. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, you go through probably three or four months in the police academy where you learn the laws, the, um, you know, tactical uh, training and whatnot. So um, it was good. And, you know, it, obviously it's changed quite a bit. Uh, I mean, technology-wise, the scrutiny, everything about it has changed. But, you know, I always said, you know, for 43 years, I, I never went to work any day that I didn't want to go to work. And not a lot of people can say that about the job they, sure. they've been engaged in. Absolutely. Now, you, you know, you'd mentioned your older brother, as I understand, he was commissioner from 94 to 03. Uh, how, did the, how did that come to be? It's interesting, you know, in the same family to both uh, both hold the, hold the yeah. position. Yeah, again, my brother Paul, he, he was the oldest of the six of us. And, uh, you know, he went through law school. He was an attorney. He went to Suffolk. Uh, 
But, you know, he, he became police commissioner under uh, Tom Menino. So, you know, I, I used to look at him and see how stressed out he was all the time. And I used to say, who in their right mind would want that job? And yeah. so little did I know his baby brother, who I was the youngest, he was the oldest, would also assume that post. But the good thing, Tom, is I had a good guardian, you know, someone I could rely on for advice. And when uh, I had a dilemma that I didn't know how to handle, uh, he was only a phone call away. So it was good to have it. And honestly, me and my four older brothers still live within a couple blocks of each other in South Boston. And my brother Paul lives two doors away from me. So, nice. in fact, when his packages left on my doorstep, <laughs> he delivers them. <laughs> oh, it sounds like he's got your back. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, so, did you know you'd make a career with BPD at the time? You know, can you just tell us about moving up the ranks? Yeah, I mean, when we came on the job years ago, it was a lifelong career. Yeah. You know, little did I ever know, I or did I ever aspire to be police commissioner? But you know, after five or six years on the job as a police officer. You know, my brothers, one, my two brothers on the fire went up to be chiefs, and my brother and they were saying, you got to take these promotional exams. And so, you know, I studied hard to become a police sergeant, and then, you know, I was a sergeant for probably three or four years, studied hard, became lieutenant, and then studied hard to be captain. And now, when I tell you to study hard, being a law student, you know, they just gave us a stack of books and said, all right, read these. And I buried myself in books for almost what, five months. What were they testing you on? Was it like criminal procedure? Yeah. Like uh, it was everything. It was uh, criminal laws. You know, as far as you know, chapter two sixty five, two sixty two, two seventy two, all the criminal laws on. You know, whether you have all the elements of the crime, and then you had criminal procedures. Uh, you know, when you can go into someone's house. Uh, you know, when you need a search warrant, a no knock warrant. All you know the elements when you can search a vehicle, when you can stop and frisk. So, the juvenile law, motor vehicle law. Then you got it more into supervisory uh, management practice, how to handle people. Yeah. And as you went up, you know you got into more management studying uh, on how budgeting uh, and everything else. So it's very intensive, believe it or not. Gotcha. So, you know, you're, you're, you're in there, you come through, you know, the 90s, 2000s, you know, uh, Mayor Menino's heyday, uh, you know, by that point, you've been in there for a, a few decades. So, you know, what were you up to? What was the, what was the day-to-day? Well, you know, probably the biggest um, job I always loved was being a police captain. Yeah. And I was a police captain back in 97, I became probably the youngest one mm-hmm. ever. And I was a captain in this area, Austin Brighton, for nine years. Well, I really got familiar with Boston College, yeah. Boston University, Harvard, and you know I had the nickname sort of um, of Captain No Fun because I was tough. As far as yeah. you know, when I went to community meetings, yeah. the, the the number one issue here wasn't you know gun violence; it was the rowdy students. And yeah, the parties, the parties, and, and yeah. I worked with Boston College at the time on football games, on how to tighten things up, yeah. you know. BU, and I always remember working with Harvard on their Harvard-Yale game because that was totally out of control. So so for nine years, I dealt with college issues. And then I went down to Fenway, where I was the captain of that district. So I had Fenway, Lower Roxbury, South End, and Back Bay for almost four years. Obviously, different issues down there, violence, dealing with Fenway Park. I 
I probably did 81 games a year, so I overdosed on Fenway Park. <laughs> now, now, were you, you know, I, I think about the, the World Series, or I think it was the playoffs number of years, it was, you know, the, the bullpen cop, and there's, what were you doing at Fenway in particular? Did you get that close to the game? or? I uh, mean, I, you know, I, I was in charge at night of the security detail for the city, and, you know, after the game, I was on the field. Before the game, I was on the field. Yeah. You know, I got to know everybody, yeah. you know, and... Uh, Seen some great games, got to see some championships, be involved in the celebrations, the parades. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of good parts of the job. You know, you know I've put on a, a lot of presidential visits in my time, seen a lot of concerts, you yeah. name it. Yeah. You, you're where a lot of people want to be, yeah. but obviously there's the downside. Sure. You, you, you got a dirty job sometimes and you see some terrible stuff. Sure, uh, of course. Now, now, in those years there where you're working, you know, alongside some of these colleges, did you get a sense then that, you know, someday you might want to go into that type of setting as you are now? You know, like, what what was that work like? You know, it sounds like it was primarily, you know, keeping uh, keeping keeping the peace. But, you know, what, what, what was that like when you were, when you were working with, with that scene? I, I enjoyed working in Austin Brighton especially because, you know, I, I got to meet some good people at Boston College. I mean, I, I knew Tom Keaty, who's... Mm-hmm. Vice President of Government Affairs, Bill Mills, uh, who's there. Um, got to meet all the different uh, dean of students uh, um, down at BU. I knew everybody. And we came up with some innovative programs as far as the, the police riding around with the administrators and parental notification. And I really enjoyed it. And to the, you know, I always thought back then, what a neat place to work after I retire. And so, you know, uh, but BC wasn't, new to me. I, I had dealt with BC and enjoyed it for almost nine years. I, so I had read about these uh, ride-alongs that would happen with the administrators at, at, at these schools. What, what was that ab- about, and you know, did it open their eyes? Did it sort of give a sense for you know, the, the other side of these issues? Like, c- can you tell us about that well, program? Well, I, I think the key with the administrators is, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, we deal with, you know, police officers deal with the kids uh, and the students when they've maybe had one too many beers, sure. and and you know and <clears throat> you know it, it's it's much easier when you have an administrator there, an official from the university, because you know if the police ask for someone's ID or you know sometimes the kid can give the police a hard time and say, do you know you're my rights? And yeah. where having an administrator sort of be the mediator and the go-between, yeah. just and it also made the kid realize, um, you know my school's going to find out about this. And, yeah. You know, we were never into uh, arresting someone and giving them the criminal record. And if we can turn over a disciplinary case to the administrator, yeah. it's a be- better outcome for everyone. And that's still our philosophy now. Sure. We hate to see any student get in any type of criminal behavior because it could impact his life forever. Sure. So having the administrator to be the go-between mm-hmm. was a way for us to take disciplinary action um, administratively. That's great. And, and it seems like you have to have some good relationships there in the community in order to, to facilitate that. And it seems like you were you were, you were doing a lot of that. Um, I wanted to ask about, you know, fast forwarding a few years, if it's all right. You know, we had um, just this last week was the 10 year anniversary of, of course, the marathon bombing in Boston. I know that was just before you came on um, a, a, as commissioner. But I know that, you know, at, at, at that time, you know, you, uh, you know, were quite involved in the police response investigation, you know, that whole week. You know, I myself was in high school in Boston at the time, and, you know, of course, a lot of those memories stick with you. If it's all right, I'd like to just ask if you could kind of take us through that day, being, you know, inside law enforcement and, and just, just what that was well, like. Well, again, I love to run. You know, I just did my 60th marathon last Monday. I did Boston. 
obviously a lot slower than I used to yeah. be. 60 and, marathons, that's yeah, a lot, yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, I did it. I mean, I love marathon. And, and you know, obviously um, that particular day back on April 15, 2013, you know, I had prepared the whole department for that race, and it was my plan. And But I had asked my commissioner, Davis, if I could run that day. Ed Davis. Ed Davis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went out that morning to Hopkinton, and I ran the race. And I... It was a great day. I felt great. I did. I think I did it at 3.35 that, that year. And, you know, I went home, grabbed my wife and my son who were at the finish line and dropped them off and went to a hot tub when, uh, close by when someone came in and said, hey, I, uh, you know, superintendent was my rank then. I was chief of patrol. Okay. I had a couple bombs that went off. And I, I remember being in denial saying, that, that, that stuff doesn't happen here. But I hopped in the shower, went home, got my uniform on, and within 10 minutes, I was at the finish line. And, you know, to see what I seen was something I think, <clears throat> you know, you never get out of your head. I mean, yeah. to see the young bodies on the street, uh, to see the damage, to see the fear in people's faces. And I just remember my heart was ready to jump out of my body because it was just an overwhelming, uh, sad feeling. Yeah, and, and then, obviously, we had to go to work. And it was my responsibility as chief of patrol to put a plan together yeah. you know we canceled days off for the whole department we locked down the area made sure, sure it was secure we had further sweeps by the bomb dogs to make sure there wasn't a third device and then for the next four or five days it was just the chase was on to figure out who did it and in the middle of that we had a presidential visit mm-hmm. with michelle obama and uh, president obama and usually a presidential visit by itself is a huge undertaking, right. but to do it when you've only slept probably eight hours all week and was a monumental task. But we were able to pull together a great visit, a very inspirational talk given by President Obama, and then wheels were up, he was out of town, and as you know, that afternoon, they, they released the video to the public and, you know. The photos of the two yeah. suspects, yeah. And obviously, whether that spooked them or not, but then they went over to MIT uh, shot poor Sean Collier, who was an MIT police officer, mm-hmm. and then stole uh, a young Asian male's vehicle, and the chase went on out in Watertown in that massive shootout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Crazy times. Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to ask about that, you know, that, that the manhunt, you know, I think we've all, if we weren't, you know, this, I know classmates of mine have here from other parts of the country, perhaps even other countries who've never heard of this. And then, you know, you see the movie, you, you, know, you learn about it after. But, you know, I remember being under lockdown in uh, actually in Waltham at the time. Um, and, and it was unbelievable. I think the sentiment you expressed before about, you know, those things don't happen here was there, there was definitely a sense of, of, of disbelief uh, among a lot of other things. But um, how, uh, I guess, involved were you in that manhunt itself? You know, you're canceling days off. There's a lot of man hours going into that. What, what was that like? Well, again, when I tell you, I ran the race, and I think the next time I went to bed was 10 p.m. the next night. So I basically was running on empty, but um, you know what? I uh, must have been running on adrenaline because I couldn't feel my legs. And, you know, again, we took it personal. Yeah. Not only did they blow up Boston on the, on a special day like Patriots Day, but mm-hmm. as a marathoner, they blew up a marathon. And so we wanted to find out who this was. And so my role was assigning offices to where they were needed most. And yeah. I was running the day-to-day operations for that week mm-hmm. as far as securing the crime scene, in, in, in helping the investigation. Now, when we went out to Watertown the night of the shootout, 
I, when I arrived, my commissioner-in-chief went off to the Watertown Mall and from... That was like the command post, I yeah, believe. Yeah, in Watertown. From 1 o'clock on, I, I sort of ran the street out in Watertown. And all day long, when everybody was sheltered in place, um, I directed the tactical operations out in, Bright, out in Watertown. And we went from house to house, yard to yard, garage to garage, and meticulously looked for the second suspect who got away. Obviously, the first one was killed in the shootout, um, but we looked for almost 18, 19 straight hours. And, and then someone come running up to me and said, we think the guy's in a boat behind 67 Franklin Street. In, in Watertown. In Watertown. And you know, I hopped in my little black Ford Fusion, and we quietly moved up to the front of that house, and we walked down that driveway, and I looked up at the boat, and I could see him poking at the heat seal on the boat. So me and my lieutenants were literally the first ones on the scene. Before the 911 call, uh, before anyone even said um, on, on the radio. And then the call comes out, and I said, yeah, he, I'm here. He's in the boat. And I think... Uh, on the radio? On the radio, okay. you know. And so we ended up, instead of going in and getting him, because we didn't know whether he had a suicide vest, he already had pressure cookers. He had uh, explosives. We just didn't know what we were walking into. So we called for tactical teams and then... Uh, had the whole situation under control, as you know. No, and then one someone fired, and a bunch of officers fired. And I'm screaming for everyone to hold their fire, and I was able to get everybody to stop firing. Thank God, because we needed to get whoever's in that boat out alive to find out what his motives were. And we were able to um, stop the fire. And then I worked with the FBI hostage recovery team. We threw flashbangs in the boat. We threw smoke grenades in the boat. And finally, we were able to sit, get him to sit up, and we took him into custody. Yeah. Wow. You know, I think about, you know, at the time I was, you know, under the lockdown, I'm watching this on the TV. You had all these helicopters. You're seeing, you know, the, the, this thing. And, you know, I, I've lived here my, my, my whole life, and it was unbelievable to think about a, a scene like that taking place just down the street and, you know, in, 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 in Watertown. And, you know, you're so you're so close to this on that, on that day during this manhunt. And, you know, I, I recall... You know, the the area after that night of the shootout that was essentially cordoned off and searching house to house, as you said, um, it must have been surreal. You know, what what were you thinking? You know, you're looking for this guy. You know, we, you, did, did you think you, you had him isolated? Did you think he was here? Did you think he got away? What, what were you thinking on that day when you're going from one house to the next? Well, uh, you know, given how many officers were around, I, I, I wouldn't have think that, that he would have got away. You know, obviously, we continued to search and... It was a long day. Uh, we didn't really have a whole lot to eat out there. Uh, our phones and our walkie-talkies were dying on us. And, and then around 5 o'clock, uh, 6 o'clock, I think, I'm not sure, the governor and mayor released a stay-in-place order, and everyone started to leave. But one of my captains had a couple more blocks that he wanted to hit, so he says um, to me, we have a, I said, all right, John, we're all staying. And that's when everyone else was going home. We were there, and that's when someone ran up to me. And so that's why we quietly, uh, you know, zigzagged up to the front of that house and found them. But everybody was very cooperative in Watertown. They were letting us use their bathrooms. They, they were afraid. And, you know, it, it was sort of eerie walking the streets all by yourself with tactical teams. But, um, you know, but we stayed out there. We kept searching because I knew he had to be in the area. And honestly... 
I didn't want to go home without having them. Yeah. It would have been an empty feeling. Yeah. And, you know, Fenway Park had been shut down mm -hmm. for days. Mm -hmm. uh, Big Apple Circus on City Hall Plaza was shut down. Mm -hmm. The Fleet Center was shut. Boston was in a state of hold, holding, yeah. and I didn't want to see another day. And yeah. so um, I'm glad we hung around, and I'm, I'm glad someone ran up to us because, you know, after we got them, it was the best feeling in the world. Sure. Well, I, 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 I can't imagine what it was like to, to, to be there on that day. It was just such a, such a surreal period of time. Um, lastly, on this topic, I, I just wanted uh, of the, you know, what happened then. Uh, I wanted to ask, you know, what you might think the biggest misconception folks have about what happened on those, on those days. Because there's obviously, it's one thing to have been here, to have heard about it, but it's another thing to have actually been on the scene and working the, working the crime after that tragedy. You know, is there anything you think of that, you know, folks who weren't there, who weren't working it, misconceptions people might have? Well, I think, you know, obviously uh, there was a lot of gunfire yeah. at the point, um, at, you know, at the shootout in Watertown, the shootout at the boat, but they have to realize that, you know, obviously officers have a lot more firepower now, and yeah. once one fires, usually you have a domino effect with others firing. So sort of like the fog of war. Right, exactly. So it, it, I don't think it was a, um, you know, obviously it sounded and looked terrible, but, you know, you got to understand for 105 hours, everybody was looking for this particular guy, and I, I think... What probably happened is they believed the, uh, someone in the boat probably fired first, and, and that's the response you get. And obviously we can do better um, trying to control those scenes, and I tried my best to do it, but unfortunately that stuff happens in a fog of war, like you're saying. Understandable. Um, well, thank you for sharing on that. I, moving ahead, you know, soon after that, you know, you're named commissioner of uh, Boston Police Department by Mayor Menino in uh, 2013. What, first of all, what was that like to uh, know that that was coming your way, that promotion, and what was that role like? Well, again, I, I, I never, you know, dreamed to be in police commissioner. I, I never really wanted the job. I, I was in uniform, the same outfit, <clears throat> for 34 years. Right. Every day I got up, I put on blue pants, blue shirt, and a clip-on tie. Uh, and that's, a, that's what I love to be. I never wanted to be a detective. I never wanted to uh, work plain clothes. I just love being in uniform, and I love going to calls every day. And so I was very happy as being chief of the uniform branch. That was my ideal job. And, you know, I think Mayor Menino had seen how I handled the Occupy movement. Mm -hmm. Occupy Boston was a 70-day encampment of Dewey Square mm -hmm. where there were major protests. There was major disruptions across the country. But the relationships I built mm -hmm. with all the informal leaders of that movement I think showed Mayor Menino in the tactics we used to resolve the whole issue mm -hmm. that I could handle this stuff. And so I think when Commissioner Davis left, <clears throat> he seen in me someone who could, he believed could run the department. Now, uh, whenever he asked me, I remember getting the phone call. I was like, oh, my God, like, again, the, like your heart jumps out. Like, am I going to be able to do this? But the interesting thing, Tom, is my last night on the street, was when the Red Sox beat St. Louis for the World Series. And for, in 2013. Yeah. And I worked that whole game moving crowds all night long. And when the final pitch came, because they were up pretty big, mm -hmm. we were pushing crowds in Kenmore Square. And yeah. then the next day, I was the police commissioner wow. 
overseeing the parade. So you're at you're at Fenway, you know, like you had for so many nights yeah. before big games, uh, and that's that's when you get the call when you're there. Wow. Well, it, yeah. that, my last night in uniform. Right, night in uniform. Was, okay. Was was dealing with a, a celebratory crowd around Fenway and across the city. And that must that must have been that must have felt pretty meaningful. It, it did. When, in hindsight, when you're in the middle of it, it's stressful. And then to put on a parade the, the next day or two, sure. and I, you know, funny thing, and I always talk about is I had one suit to my name, <laughs> you know, and I'm saying, yeah. I, you know, all of a sudden. I need some new suits. I need some new suits. Yeah. I need some new shirts. I need yeah. some new ties. And so the whole role changed. And when people said to me, what was the most difficult change? I said, having to find an outfit every day. Because <laughs> for 34 years, Gotta I start matching the tie, matching oh, the I got, shirt. I got yeah. into buying ties. I got into buying... <laughs> Not the clip-on ones either. No, no. no. Yeah. You know why they have clip-ons? Right. Because uh, policemen doesn't... They, they're in struggles. Yeah. And if someone grabs a policeman by the yeah, tie, yeah. they can choke them. So now they just break the tie that's right off. Right. So that's the whole reasoning for the clip-on tie. Sure. Wow. So, uh, and, and you know, I, I, the other thing I think about when I think about that time is you know, that was the David Ortiz. This is our bleeping city, yeah. uh, you know, playoff race there. That, you know, I, I think I alluded to it earlier. You know, there's that that famous photo um, from that time of the bullpen cop with the arms raised and the right and the and the and the legs of uh, the other guy sort of going over the wall with the home run. Um, and so that 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 sounds like a pretty meaningful uh, sequence of events. Yeah, then. It was, yeah, it was good times. I mean, I, I remember being on the field. The morning after we captured the suspect in, in Watertown, and when David Ortiz, you know, they they did sort of a, a memorial on the on the uh, the board, and you know, singing "God Bless America" and "Hey, this is our effing city." Yeah. I remember I was so emotional because it was such a a hectic week where I think we only slept about ten hours. Um, what was you know? I, I think you sort of alluded to some of it, but the biggest challenge of that new role, being commissioner? Well, I, I obviously, obviously a big challenge is always establishing a good dialogue with the public, and, and which I love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love the community part of the work. I love to meet with people. But the thing that bothered me the most and the thing that kept me awake at night was the young kids in the neighborhood, especially poor, uh, disadvantaged kids who you know, we might pick up a gun and, and they were shooting each other. And, you know, if we had 58 homicides in a year, I was probably at 50 of them because mm-hmm. I get that 1 o'clock in the morning call, the 3 o'clock. And living in South Boston, I tried to get to every one I could. And that's the stuff that continues to bother me and plague me, that there's just so much senseless violence in, in communities, especially poor and disadvantaged. You know, I look back, you know, when I lost my mom and dad and a brother, I had a local priest step in to my life and got me into a good school on a scholarship. And I always say I didn't have the brains, but he gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. And I look at young disadvantaged kids, especially a lot of African-American kids. All they need is a father white to step into their life and give them an opportunity that I have. I've always said throughout my career, especially as commissioner, there's no such thing as a bad kid. There's just kids who need the right opportunities. And more than anything broke my heart was to see young kids dying on the streets due to gun violence. And that's why I was a big advocate for stricter gun control, mm-hmm. universal gun laws as far as mental health checks. Mm-hmm. Because if you've seen what I've seen over the years, yeah. you'd understand why um, we have to restrict the, the, uh, the flow of guns in our country. 
the flip side of that, what was the most rewarding a- aspect of that role as commissioner? I, I want to say when I left the job, I thought community relations and public opinion us was very favorable. You know, I started peace walks in the city where uh, three or four nights of the summer we were walking in the community, and mostly a lot of black communities, and people got to know me and got to trust me, and that was a good feeling because, you know, I was a, a local kid from South Boston who lived through, you know, the whole busing crisis, and I always remember um, I was given an award by uh, the 12th Baptist Church, a leadership award, and that that's an award from the same church where Martin Luther King preached from. And I remember accepting my wallet at, 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 on the altar of that church. And for me to get that, that, w- that was the best part of my job, uh, being recognized by, you know, a, a lot of the poorer neighborhoods as doing a good job. And I always remember my last day uh, and a car load of um, black older women riding by beeping and they were screaming out their window, Commissioner, we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you. And, you know, that's the type of stuff. Uh, I, I hope I made a difference. And the good thing is when I was there for my five years, we reduced crime in the city by 25%. Homicides were down. But the most important thing, Tom, our arrests were down 25%. So we weren't accomplishing our role by overzealous policing. We were accomplishing our role by working with the community and trying to get some of the kids who were going down the wrong path, opportunities such as jobs and, and uh, uh, you know, get them into college and other stuff. And so with crime going down in the rest, um, it was a good feeling. You know, I'm a city kid. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't a saint growing up. I, I know what it is to grow up poor, and I know what it's like to get in trouble. Sure. And everybody deserves a second chance. Sure. So after that, you take on the role of chief of police at BC. Uh, you know, I sort of can imagine some of these things from your, your prior experience, you know, working alongside the college, but uh, what, what brought you to that job and what's involved in it? What's the day in the life? Well, you know, again, I loved what I did in the BPD and it was a, 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 a big move for me mm-hmm. to have to leave the BPD, but yeah. BC was a great opportunity. Again, I was a captain here. Uh, I was very familiar with BC and I always thought what a great opportunity this would be. And I remember going home to my wife and saying, hey, I have an opportunity to go to Boston College. What do you think? And she said to me, whatever you want. And I said, well, you know, this has been a stressful job. 20, you know, I can't tell you if I got three, more than three hours a night sleep mm-hmm. and the commitments, holidays, everything, weekends, I was gone. My, she did a super job raising my three children, but it was time to take a step back and say, health-wise and family-wise, how much longer can I do this? And mm-hmm. What a great place to land in Boston College. I, I like everything about it. Obviously, Father Leahy's a great leader. Uh, I got to know some of the, uh, you know, the, the leadership. But more importantly, I, I got to have a lot of interactions with the men and women, young women who are here. And they're a great group of young adults. And the whole atmosphere with the sports, uh, you know, you, you can't meet a nicer place to work. Everybody seems to know each other. It's, it's a big university, but it's very manageable. And, uh, you know, different issues, mm-hmm. but issues that keep us pretty busy. What are some of, I guess, the distinctions, the challenges, you touched on some of them, going from BPD and from having been there for so long to now going to a very you know, different setting? Well, I, I think, obviously, different issues. I, I mean, I love 
you know, uh, every chance I get to interact with the students, I do a lot of talking in different classes. I do the orientations with the parents. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we deal with issues around mental health. Yep. Unfortunately, I think, you know, I found out in the BPD with police officers how, how important their mental health is. And I, I think there's a lot of stress on young students today. And so we deal with issues around that. Obviously, alcohol. Um, we deal, knock on wood, we don't have a lot of drug use, which is great. Um, and other issues. We don't have a whole lot of crime here, believe it. You know, it's, it's great. I don't think we've had a robbery here since I've been here. So, but it's dealing with sort of quality of life type issues. And, but what I've found is we're very fortunate here. What a great crop of young uh, men and women we have. And they're very respectful. Last question I wanted to ask, uh, what advice would you give to young people pursuing careers in law, law enforcement in this, in this domain that you've been in for so long? Well, it's a tough time to be a police officer. I mean, I think we've all realized after George Floyd and some of the tragedies that have played out on national media that police aren't perfect. We have a lot of things to fix, and there's been a history of uh, discriminatory practices over the years. And I think, you know, policing is a wake-up that we have to do better and uh, work closer with the community. And, but I don't want people to be discouraged. It's, it's a great profession. Uh, it pays well. It's got great benefits. And, you know, the ability, and I've always said it, to go to work every day and not know what's going to happen that day is sort of unique. It's not like you go into an office job where you sit in front of that computer all day. Every call you get is different. Every call you get is unique. And so it's an interesting job. And you get to see Red Sox, Bruins. I've seen the South. I've seen them all. I've seen presidents. Uh, I've, you get to see some cool things. You got Honestly, to see the winning, too. You yeah. were kind of in there for the, the, the good there. years. I was yeah. there for 12 championships. I know. Put on, help put on 12 parades. But Bad. it's a great job. Yeah. I, I think hopefully it rebounds. But right now we're in a recruitment yeah. crisis. You know, a lot of departments across the country are given incentives for people to sign on to their job. I know Boston's having problems hiring, and I, and I hate to see it because, you know, 99.9 .9 police officers are good people who go to work hard every day, but, like, unfortunately, we have our bad apples, and, you know, uh, hopefully we do better in weeding them out. And so, but I don't want people to be discouraged because we need the best and brightest. In colleges like BC, uh, if you're coming out of schools like this, uh, you can only make that... Th the job of law enforcement that much better. So I'd encourage anyone who wants a, to join the profession. It's a, I loved it. I really did. Absolutely. Well, Chief Evans, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been Tom Blakely and BC Laws Just Law podcast sitting down with uh, BCP, uh, BCPD Chief Bill Evans, who served as the commissioner of the Boston Police Department, served in the department for many years, talking about his career, talking about Boston uh, and everything from along the way. Until next time, thank you. That'll do it for this one.